listening to an episode of Tales from the First Tee. I'm your host, Rich Easton, telling tales from Charleston, South Carolina. If this is your first time listening, welcome. If you're returning for more stories, it's either because I'm talking about you or one of your buddies. I mean, or possible you can't get to sleep at night and I've been told that my voice is the antidote for insomnia. Or maybe you're tired of listening to Howard Stern or Joe Rogan, two of my broadcast icons. And I'm okay with any and all of the above. I gratefully welcome you back and thank you for supporting Tales. If you enjoy listening, I invite you to subscribe to my website. Subscribe to my podcast on whatever streaming service you listen to. Share it with your friends. And if you absolutely hate it, share it with your enemies. The more listeners, likes, and reviews I get, the more encouraged I get to continue telling tales. So I have a good buddy of mine um, over at the Bachelor Pad the other day. Yeah, we grooving, fresh moving, Neptune goons in my room, love the music, straight boozing, and no accusing of my bats of pabby and the nuisance. And we were talking about the podcast and kind of talking about the strategy. And he asked, hey, have you considered doing videos on TikTok, YouTube, or any other social media platform? And I thought, man, that's an astute observation. I mean, this guy was a finance major. But this guy just kind of gets it when you talk to him. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, it's not a bad idea. Yeah, so I think JB's on to something. Um, I think video is an important part of podcasting. So in season two, I think there's going to be a lot more videos, TikToks, YouTubes, and things like that. Um, hey, I haven't broken any mirrors yet, so why not? But as I explained to JB, anytime I consider taking on more of anything, it means I have to do less of something else I'm already doing. It's like the theory of time displacement. Time displacement in sociology refers to the idea that new forms of activities may replace older ones. Yeah, but JB didn't miss a beat. He just said, hey, dude, from what I can see... You have more free time than any people I know. Whatever you have to do less of, I don't think anybody's going to notice. Touche, JB. Touche. Welcome to my bats of pad, my spaceship bats of pad. Yeah, we grooving, fresh moving, Neptune goons in my room, love the music, straight boozing. This is Tales from the First Tee, Season 1 finale. 64 episodes. Downloads. In upwards of 600 cities, 34 countries worldwide. And before I get into my thoughts on the FedEx Cup Tour Championship, an update on the Millers that blew me away. Monty Velarde, a character I met at the first tee that I just had to talk about. The prodigal child, Wills Waldorf, who schooled me on fantasy football. I mean, he does his own podcast. And Lisa and Patrick Herndon, who were getting married the same day they were playing at Charleston National, 
and a hole-in-one story I couldn't believe. But first, I'll do a summary of season one, 64 different episodes, hundreds of stories. If you've already heard them, I've got chapter markers. You could fast forward through it. If not, this gives you a pretty good idea of what this podcast is all about. And in 2020 and 2021, the news was shattering, the pandemic, the election, and everything else that was transpiring. And during that whole time, I decide to start a podcast. Mysterious pneumonia outbreak in Wuhan, China. A new type of coronavirus. The number of affected countries has tripled. The World Health Organization has just declared that this is a pandemic. So I start my podcast in September of 2020, right in the middle of a worldwide shutdown because of the pandemic. So you couldn't turn on the news without hearing something about COVID-19. Normal life canceled. 11 days into the national lockdown. All public gatherings banned. Working from home is the new reality. Are any of y'all wearing pants? I talk about fighting on a golf course. My buddy Southern Brad fighting with his brother in the middle of the golf course. He chokes him out. But, you know, he had the right reason to do it. I talk about golf games and golf betting and, you know, what it does to people. You know, certain people on the golf course will act a certain way. Once there is as little as a dollar on the line, people start doing funny things. Strippers on a golf course. I go into Phoenix and a buddy of mine sets me up to play in this tournament. Little did I know it was a real skins game. These provocative co-eds that use their sex appeal to win a golf pet. Getting in the zone. I interview the pros at Charleston National and each one of them gives me their idea on what it's like to get in the zone. Golf pairings. The good, the bad, and the ugly. I've had the opportunity to play with some really interesting people. People that I talk about in the podcast. I've also been paired up with some numbskulls, and of course, they make the podcast as well. Should you be talking about politics on the golf course? And when I did this episode, the election was going on, Biden and Trump, and that was so divisive. And uh, I kind of learned the hard way that when conversations of politics comes up on the golf course, it ruins everybody's day. It's highly emotional. Then I look at the pandemic. I do a three-part episode with Tracy. And while we're sitting there uh, with this pineapple-infused tequila and vodka, we talk about how the pandemic has affected both of us. I talk about my experience at Augusta National outside the gates of Augusta National. I go for a job interview. I think I'm going to get it. The reason I want the job interview is I want to get inside the gates. I want to walk the hallowed grounds of Augusta National. And all I've got to do is go up for a job interview to work the tournament. Well, I couldn't have messed up any worse. The worst fire season ever, and every year Bill's on the last one, it seems like. Yeah, it really does. This is everything we've worked for for the last 35 years. Gone. This looks more like... Putting your clubs in probation. Some guys that every year 
when a new driver comes out and hits the marketplace, Sim Max 1, Sim Max 2, they've always got the new driver or they've got the new putter. For me, I play with the equipment I have until that equipment fails me. And then I talk to it. I talk to my clubs. You mad, bro? You mad, bro? (laughs) And if they don't respond the way they need to respond, I take them and I put them in probation. Sometimes I pull them back out. My putters will always come back out. But sometimes they never make it back out. And sometimes they go in for a trade-in to get the next new thing. Operation VetFit. I met a guy at the first tee box, Dan Gata. And this is somebody's name that I'll say straight up without making up names. Dan is a vet, a Marine veteran who helps other Marine veterans live a happy life. His whole mission in life is to prevent people who might have PTSD from taking their lives. So his mission is to help connect them to government programs. And a lot of the times his mission is bring him to the golf course and let him play around the golf because playing around the golf with him is just fun. Hole in ones have you gotten? Have you gotten a hole in one? And I have played with some incredibly gifted golfers who've never gotten one. I've also played with guys that they're on their fourth or fifth. I had an interesting experience in Denver, Colorado, where, well, you're going to have to listen to the episode. India and Pakistan are facing their worst locust outbreak in 70 years. Cases are up. An interview with a golf pro in Marbella, Spain, John Rothling. John is from Germany. He was a professional footballer. We call him soccer players. And injuries ended his career. He's in the States. He's actually on a cruise and a buddy of his asked him to play golf. He goes out for the first time ever and hits a miraculous shot with a seven iron, breaking the club, but the ball goes flying on the green. He makes a par. He's hooked for life. He goes back to Germany, decides this is what he wants to do. Goes back to America, plays in the mini tours, goes back to Germany. It's like, it's too freaking cold here. So he goes to South of Spain, his new home, and he becomes a teacher in the South of Spain. He finds me through the internet, listens to my podcast, sends me his book that he wrote, and then we do an interview. You know, and as we're talking about social media and the internet, Manolo Vega. Okay, everyone, the time has come. The 22nd of the May is here. Team Dasset versus the Nasty Perros is about to going down. Now, 16 crazy maniacs. Eight on the left side, eight on the right side. And I'm looking up and down the cheat of the paper, and I'm like, Team Dasset, they got what it takes, man, because Ryan and Santi, they're the captains of that ship, and they're going to take that ship to the victory. That's just what I see on the papers, man. Ryan Covell found Manolo. Now, the captain of the Nasty Perros, he could have found Manolo, but he did not. And for this reason, I am contractually obligations to Ryan Covell and Santi, to them leading that set to the victory. So, Zach, what the fuck, man? Figured it out. I know golf is hard, but like, seriously, like... I guess if you're going to suck the guy, suck the guy in faster, man. Just keep it moving, man. Don't pick him where the ball is going, chico. Hey, all you 16 maniacs, Manolito is here for you guys. Have the fun. 
out there on the golfing, in the competitions, waggling that shit nasty. You know what it is? And smacking that motherfucker sexy as you can be. You know what it is? From the Lord, through Manolo, to you guys, in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Had the best fucking time, you guys. God bless that shit. That's it. Manolo, I found Manolo Vega when I was just scrolling through TikTok. And this guy, who is an actor out in L.A., of either Hispanic or Middle Eastern descent or both. He has an incredible Hispanic accent, which I believe he does even more purposeful to make his point. And he does these one to two minute videos on things to do on a golf course or tips. And I've got to tell you, I have followed some of his tips and have hit some of the best shots. Manolo Vega, funny guy. And then the PGA Tour. So I've been to a few events this year, the PGA Championship in Kiowa, Congaree Golf Club, and I've gone to the tournaments and come back and given my thoughts. I mean, watching Phil Mickelson win the tournament um, at the PGA and, uh, and watching all the fans just embrace him was something you just don't forget. Cases are up. More than 30 states in Puerto Rico reporting cases on the rise. Possible second wave going global. 60 million plus cases, almost 1.5 million deaths. I've developed mild symptoms. French President Emmanuel Macron. President Bolsonaro. has The killer bee. I get a chance to meet a father-son team that come to the first tee quite often. And I watch this kid hit and, and just listen to his dad. And the two of each other give each other grief and give each other shit back and forth. It's a father-son. Most father-sons that come to the first tee, it's, you know, the fathers are there to support their sons. The fathers are kind of quiet. That, that's not these guys. It is so much fun. Dad's from Jersey. Son's born in the South. His mom is from South Carolina. So this kid is bi-regional, and he's got the best of both worlds. And this kid has a swing. And so I follow them, I've played with them, and then I had an opportunity to caddy for the kid and watch the kid shoot five over par and came in second place. And then I've watched him in some other tournaments. He's a fun kid to watch. I think we got to watch him for the future because this kid has a swing. And most importantly, he's got a mindset to be a champion. I've watched him in some tough situations where he saved par where most people would get a double bogey. This kid could be the future of golf. President Bolsonaro has Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany Donald Trump tested positive for the coronavirus. I think it's under control. I'll tell you what. How? A thousand Americans are dying a day. They are dying. That's true. It is and then the COVID cabana. So I have a good buddy, Jeff, that works at the golf course who invited me to come um, every Friday night, he's been going to this cabana that's on Sullivan's Island. And it's like, you know, from Alfalfa and the Little Rascals, it's like the Woman Haters Club. But it's really not. But it's only guys. And it's typically three hours of guys getting out of the house, coming to the beach, bringing their own drinks, and an opportunity for me to really appreciate bourbon and ice and share stories with some of these guys and their stories are the best. So I've talked a bunch of stories at the COVID cabana. And then I talk about some of the people I play with Southern Brad, Jersey, Tim, Dr. Les Payne, cloudy graves, Billy, the kid, the Mike Kaufman group. <laughs> That's actually a real name there. Boston Dave, 
who has become a fan of the podcast, um, who actually was the first person to correct me on my last podcast when I talked about Brady having six rings. And he, he was kind enough to write me back and say, hey, buddy, you know, Brady has seven rings. He has six with the Patriots. <laughs> this guy's a Patriots fan. Also, one of the only people I know that invites me to get a job at a place that he's working. And I don't take the job for some reasons. And two weeks later, he quits. So love this guy, Boston Dave. You'll hear more about him in the future. And then last week, I shared a story about the Millers, an incredibly nice couple from right outside of Minneapolis, Minnesota, who have decided through COVID that once they can get out, they want to play golf in all 50 states. And not only do they want to play golf, but they want to go to uh, the most notable restaurants, dive bars, watering holes that locals suggest is the place to be. And so they're on a mission to experience the United States through golf. And of course, I can't leave out my nine episodes with my co-host, Josh Salzman, who lives in the UK. He's a fitness coach to high-profile clients and celebrities preparing for dynamic roles. Angelina Jolie, Hugh Jackman, Sir Paul McCartney, Sir Kenneth Branagh, Sarah, Duchess of York, we call her Fergie here in the United States, and Ernie Else when he was winning big on tour, as well as a host of other characters. Josh and I met at a fraternity party at Union College and galvanized a relationship that's passed the test of time. He leaves nothing to the imagination and has tested his fortitude countless times. Our episodes have gained international appeal, which has certainly exposed the world to tales. Stay tuned to more co-hosted episodes. Josh and his partner, Wayne, founded a company in the UK called SuperA.UK, S-U-P-E-R-A, the letter A, dot U-K. It's a mission to help people discover and develop their best physical and mental self as they, and when I say they, I mean we, introduce a regimen of exercise, healthy eating, and healthy lifestyle. I mean, we all start aging at birth. If we're fortunate, we survive the challenges of life. But we don't have to start preparing to give up on ourselves, sink into a couch, rocking chair. Actually, that sounds comfortable. Or take on the image of what it used to look like to go through midlife and senior life. I mean, with the advancements of technology, we're just exposed to more resources. Advancement in science, medicine, nutrition, and fitness. So we have far less excuses if we dedicate ourselves and put our minds towards reaching our potential. Reaching our potential. Isn't that the number one argument we have with our kids when they're slacking off? We want them to use their God-given talents and reach for their personal best. And everybody's personal best is different. Josh and his team focus on helping us find our personal best. It's about process. Process drives results. Stay tuned to more co-hosted episodes. And when the world opens up, I need to take Tails on the road to the UK and other supporting countries to play golf and meet the people. (laughs) 
In the last episode, I told a story about Hap and Felicity Miller, a couple that had a quest to play golf in all 50 states. And the only criteria they had was they had to be able to get a tee time, and it didn't need to be the best course in the state. So when we're talking, they ask me about dining, and I suggested a few top places. The number one place I suggested downtown Charleston was Hall's Chop House. That was my number one pick for food and customer service. And because of that, it's really hard to get into. So now fast forward. The Millers listen to the podcast and write me back. They ended up sitting at the bar at, at Hall's Chop House and were met at the door by Billy Hall's. And if you've ever been there, Billy will meet, greet you, and say goodbye to you when you leave. It's like no other restaurant I've ever been to. But they couldn't get a table, so they sit at the bar. And when they're sitting at the bar, they meet this woman who is an author who's written a few books and was an acquaintance of Charlie Watts, the Wembley Whammer, drummer for the Rolling Stones. So Hap couldn't have been any more complimentary about my suggestion and actually said that it reminded him of Manny's Steakhouse on steroids. Now, I've been to Manny's. When I used to have this job where I traveled and we'd have to entertain, that was one of the places we went in Minneapolis. And I remember having the biggest double-cut prime rib I've ever had. Man, the days of expense accounts. It's a whole new way of going to a restaurant than spending your own dollar. And boy, remember the days of unclogged arteries? I've kindly asked Hap to keep me updated on their multi-state adventure, playing golf, eating, and meeting people. So stay tuned. Lisa and Patrick Herndon. So I'm working the first tee last Friday morning, and a couple comes up to the first tee and introduce themselves as Lisa and Patrick Herndon. They're from the Northeast. And I start hearing a story. Patrick starts telling me, and I, I overheard him actually talking to somebody else about driving down from the Philadelphia area, or at least going through Philly, when Ida, the storm Ida, was skirting through the Northeast. And I mean, for all of us that have heard the stories, there were just so many catastrophes and deaths of people in their basements, um, where basements got flooded very quickly. And I've been there. I lived in Doylestown during a hurricane, and I know what it's like when basements flood. I mean, we had a storm come in, and the lights went out, and uh, so we've got the lights on upstairs, and I hear something downstairs. It sounds like we got critters or something. And so I go down. I can't see anything. I turn a flashlight on and I look down and water has gone as high as seven feet in the basement. I mean, it was a disaster. So I can understand what these people went through. So anyway, um, this couple is coming down to Charleston to get married. They had been in Charleston a year earlier and decided we love this place. Let's come back and get married next year in September. So um 
Patrick, good guy that he is, flies Lisa down, doesn't want her to have to go through the storm, driving through the storm. So she flies down and Patrick's telling a story of driving as the storm is coming up. You couldn't see the storm was so strong. The rains were so strong that he got behind a truck and all he did is follow the red lights of the truck. If that truck ran off the road, Patrick's running off the road, but he made it and he made it five hours um, past when he thought he was going to make it. So a five-hour delay is certainly better than what could have happened. So anyway, they're at the first day. They're playing golf on Friday. They're going to get married Friday afternoon. I've started a lot of bachelor parties where guys were getting married in a month. I've started some wedding parties where people were getting uh, married the next day. But to play golf at Charleston National in the morning and get married in the afternoon? Bully! Bully for you! This is Lisa and Patrick's second marriage. And hopefully when people get married the second, third, or as many more times as they get married, they go through life and they learn more things. Patrick flew Lisa down and he decided to handle the pain of driving through a major hurricane or at least a tropical storm in the Northeast. That's one of the beauties of a second and third marriage. If you're smart, you get to learn from your mistakes. You don't even have to be smart. You just have to have enough memory left to want to avoid the pain that you probably caused in your last relationship. And even if you didn't cause it, it was most likely death from a thousand cuts. So as the couple is waiting to get up on the first tee, we're having a little chat about their background. And then Patrick tells me, hey, Lisa, who's only been playing for one year, already has a hole in one. Say what? Now, when he says that, I got to hear the story. So they're playing at a local course up in the Northeast where they're from. And they get to this one hole and it is 114 yards over water. Now, for players that have played for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, whatever that is, hitting over water is not like just sitting at the range, hitting to the 100-yard marker. It's daunting. It gets in your head. You can't not think about it. So you've got to go through some kind of process to hit the ball and not think about the water. Not easy. I've talked about the mental edge of golf. You've got to have a certain mindset and a swing thought. And Lisa had one. And she shares it with me. She said, Patrick had me watch this movie, Seven Days of Utopia with Robert Duvall. And there was one line in it that just stays in your head. See it. Feel it. Trust it. SFT. SFT. Now, that's not the same as SFB which is typically what you say after you've gone through your whole imaging, take your club back and hit it in the water. I mean, son of a freaking, you get it. So now Lisa, SFT, she's thinking about this. See it, feel it, trust it. And here she goes. She take, first of all, she's hitting a driver 114 yards. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what club she uses. As a beginner, she's got to hit 114 yards over water. Daunting, right? She gets up there. She goes through the whole mental process. And while she's doing that, 
Patrick kind of looks the other way. He's doing, he's going back to the cart, getting ready to take her, you know, over around to the green. She hits the ball. It flies up over the water, hits the green. And the way the pin was that day, she couldn't see it. But after the ball goes on the green and kind of disappears, she hears something behind the green. The foursome in front of her going up to the next tee box has an eye shot of the last green. They saw her ball hit the green and go in the hole. She didn't see it. Patrick didn't see it. So they're yelling and screaming. She doesn't know why they're doing that. So they get in the cart and they come around and the people up on the next tee box are yelling, it's in, it went in, you know, and even Patrick's like, what? Lisa walks up to the green. She walks up to the pin, looks down in the hole, bends down, picks up her ball. First hole in one, first year playing golf. Now, some people would hear this story and say, oh my God, you're so lucky. Oh, that's bull. You know, it could happen to anybody at any time. I know a guy that hit a hole in one after his ball careened off a tree. So it could happen to anybody anyway. And I've told my story before of my unofficial hole in one. So now Lisa goes on to play a few more holes. And then Patrick looks over and goes, hey, where's the ball? that you got the hole in one. And she's like, she just looks at him and she goes, yeah, I think two holes ago, I hit it in the woods. She didn't keep the ball. She didn't know any better. And Patrick's looking at her and going, oh my God. But they both smiled and hey, they're getting married. So now they get to tell that story the rest of their lives. And who knows? I think Lisa's a lucky person. I see another hole in one in her future. And Patrick, God bless you. I know you haven't gotten one. You've been playing for a long time. I watched your swing on the first tee. You're a pretty good golfer. Years will come. Years will come. So believe it or not, the story even gets better. So now Lisa is so enthused by what she did over the weekend. She goes into the office on Monday and there's one guy in the office who is another coworker who um, is an avid golfer. Matter of fact, he's such an avid golfer that a few weeks earlier, he went out and played golf with Patrick. And during the round, Patrick might have had one or two bad shots and might have said something. And so this guy, let's call this guy Georgie One Way. You ever meet one of those guys where a street is named after them because all they do is think about themselves? So anyway, Georgie's out playing with Patrick And he can't stop giving him advice and lessons. Patrick didn't ask for his advice. And if you're ever out on a golf course and you're playing with somebody, do not, no matter what you see, do not offer any advice. Because once you offer advice, you're now the problem. Even if somebody says, what am I doing wrong? What am I doing wrong? All you have to say is stick with it, man. You'll get it. Stick with it. You'll get it. Do not offer people advice. But this guy was offering advice the entire round. And then after we played with him, Lisa is back in her office. And this guy, Georgie Oneway, keeps critiquing Patrick's game to Lisa. She didn't ask about that. So you kind of get a feel for what kind of guy this guy is. So she goes in the office and she sees Georgie. And she goes, you're not going to believe what happened this weekend. And she, and she says, she starts setting up the whole situation and she goes, and then I got a hole in one. 
Now, most people, when you tell them you got a hole in one, they're going to have a certain reaction. No way. That's great. I can't believe it. First year. How, you know, what club did you use? How far? People are going to ask questions. They're going to be enthused because you just did something that most golfers will never do their whole life. And what did Georgie Oneway say? Georgie Oneway goes, yeah, I've done that before. Hey, Georgie, what a douchebag. I used to be the coolest. I got all the hype. Now I become a victim of douchebag stereotype. With all these different types of douche, the question seems to be, have I become the douchebag or has the douchebag become me? Simplify, motherfucker. So I'm working the first tee and I meet another bachelor party. It's Labor Day weekend and most of the guys in the bachelor party are wearing red, white, and blue. One of the guys was wearing what looked to be an American flag and I just had to talk to this guy. His name is Monty Velarde, a Navy veteran from the Northeast who settled in Lake Norman, North Carolina. All these guys met at the Rusty Rudder up in Lake Norman. And when they're playing, um, one of the guys in the group was the owner of the Rudder, Brian Johnson. Now, the Rusty Rudder was also a restaurant a half a mile from Charleston National Golf Course, but has since closed. And all I have to say, Brian, is we miss you and we certainly miss that restaurant. Monty was the only Navy guy amongst a group of Marines celebrating an upcoming wedding. In his spare time, Monty works with Operation Restored Warrior, a program that helps veterans suffering from the effects of PTSD and combat deployment. If you have a heart for ex-Marines and Marines with PTSD, go on the website Lake Norman Seal Swim Charity. Take a look at it, and if you feel like it, donate. These guys have put their life on the line for us. Just like my buddy Dan Gaeta from Operation VetFit. Those of us who haven't served can't imagine what a warrior has to deal with. All I have to say to Monty is, thank you for your service, and you won Best Dressed Golfer, hands down. And Monty, your golf swing? That's a whole nother story. Semper Fi. The Prodigal Son. Every once in a while, you run into a kid that shows promise. A look into the future with a feeling that with moderate distraction... These kids have a chance for something big. I've talked about Blake, the killer bee, in his quest to be the next great golfer, and I think he has the goods to attack the course, dismantle the competition, and handle the media like Jen Psaki, 
Saki Pasaki, however you pronounce her last name, I had the chance to meet another young phenom last night at the COVID Cabana. Phenom Wills Waldorf recently turned 11, schooled me on fantasy football, and then gave me a lesson on monetizing my podcast. He's 11, mind you, just turned 11. So let's start with the fantasy draft. My other buddy who was standing next to me asked Wills, like, who would you pick if you had the pick for the draft? And Will, without missing a beat, goes, okay, what round are you picking in? That's a great question. Because if you're picking first versus picking eighth, it's a whole different decision. So my buddy goes, I think I'm eighth or ninth. And Will didn't miss a beat. He said, okay, most of the top running backs are going to be taken in the first seven or eight. He goes, you've got the eighth pick? He goes, I'd go with a wide receiver. Tariq Hill of the Chiefs. Devontae Adams of the Packers. Yeah, and then he said, hey, look, if I'm picking first and we have first pick, yeah, I'm going with Christian McCaffrey over Derrick Henry. I asked why he wouldn't take Mahomes first, and he looks at me almost feeling sorry for me. He goes, Patrick is the best quarterback in the fantasy game, but running backs and wide receivers just rack up more points, plain and simple. Yeah, plain and simple. There's nothing plain and simple about it. It's a numbers game, and you've got to take your personal emotions about your teams out of it. Because when I asked him, okay, what defense would you take? And he goes, well, the Bucks and the Patriots probably have the best defense. He goes, but I hate the Patriots. And I said, well, what if the Bucks are taken? He goes, I take the Patriots. He takes emotion out of it because to him, it's a numbers game. That to me is a sign of emotional maturity. I mean, most adults have this an emotion tied to their teams. And most kids... Look, they subscribe to a team, they get loyal to a team, and they're going to want that in the fantasy draft because they want to follow that team. But Wills, no, it's a numbers game. Now, I know from speaking to his dad that he and two of his buddies do a sports podcast, and that's very impressive to me. I mean, 10 and 11-year-olds doing a sports podcast. So I said, hey, what's the biggest challenge in doing this? And he goes, the biggest challenge is getting the three of my buddies together. Between our schedules and our parents' schedules, it's hard to get us together. So a lot of times, Will wants to do it by himself, but you can't do that. Because the name of the podcast is Triple Threat Sports Talk. Try and say that three times fast. I mean, that would be like if Mike Golick or Mike Greenberg separated from the two. I mean, they were Mike and Mike in the morning. That's right. They did separate, didn't they? So now we start comparing our podcasts and it's like two gunslingers, like, you know, pulling out who's the fastest in the West, right? So I tell them, hey, you know, you know, I've only got 599 cities and 34 countries and upwards of 10,000 listeners. And then what came out of his mouth next just astonished me. He asked, so, How much money have you made so far? And without going into my multi-year strategy of how I was planning on introducing videos like TikTok and YouTube next season, 
or how I was considering going into Apple Podcast Premium Services and charge for my episodes, I just said, actually, I asked, well, how much have you made? And I, like, how much have you made? I sounded like a five-year-old. And he said, $2 split three ways. They're using Anchor as their podcast platform. And when they do that, they do a little commercial for Anchor and speak to how it's, you know, Anchor can host their podcast and then send it out to other streaming services and they get paid. So, you made 67 cents. Well, that's 67 cents more than me. And I've invested in all this equipment. He's just using phones. So, Will's figured out a way to monetize his podcast in the first seven episodes. And Richie has earned zero point zero dollars. Man, from the mouth of babes. Yeah, so I've listened to most of his episodes. These guys will inform you on their prediction for upcoming sporting events, amaze you with their knowledge of the sports world, and dazzle you with their repartee. When I was 11, I didn't have a grasp of the facts in the sporting world. When I was 11, hell, Will had to school me on the best strategy for fantasy football picks. If you want to hear some smart teenagers talk about sports and are tired of listening to all those overhyped, overpaid sports announcers who have their producers' voices in their earpieces, or if you have young kids and you want to get them started in podcasting just to get them off their Xboxes and PS4s, have them tune into Triple Threat Sports Talk. And who knows, with more downloads and listeners, maybe Will and his buddies can increase their sponsorship earnings to $3. Meanwhile, Richie's still at 0.0. But that being said, this little endorsement just earned me $1 from Triple Threat Sports Talk. $1 divided by one person. Hey, Wills, I'm like 33 cents ahead of you, buddy. And I'm now playing with the house's money. Bring it on, Wills. Bring it on. Before I share my thoughts on the FedEx Cup and year-end tournament champions event at Eastlake Country Club in Atlanta, I'd like to give props to the Solheim Cup. I mean, this is the 12 top women golfers in the U.S. versus the 12 top women golfers in Europe. It is like the estrogen-infused Ryder Cup with great golf, enthusiasm, and you get to see Nellie Korda do her fairway dance, which is something you just don't get at the Ryder Cup. The first day of the Solheim Cup was exciting, and the Europeans were ready to take the lead in the first day. But the most exciting thing I think that happened all day, other than Nellie's dance down the fairway, was Nellie Korda again. Nellie Korda is making this um, sliding eagle putt, and she hits this incredible putt that curves to the left, and just the ball just sits on the edge of the cup for an eagle. In most situations, when a ball comes to rest, and it's right by the hole, 
the opposing team, if they're standing there, will just pick up the ball and throw it to them and say, okay, next one is good. So they're giving them a gimme. But here's the thing. The ball was sitting on the edge of the cup. Part of the ball was overlooking the cup. It possibly had a chance to go in. Did you know there was a rule 13.3 that says if a ball is sitting on the edge of the cup, you have to give it 10 seconds to see if the ball's going to fall in. It's the hang 10 rule, man. The hang 10 rule. The opposing team didn't give it 10 seconds. They went and picked the ball up. So the officials had to make a call. The officials made the call and gave Nelly the eagle putt. And by doing that, it put the Americans up one in that match, and they held on the rest of the match to win. And that kind of set a whole different mood change for the Americans. So how about that? So if your buddy putts the ball and it's on the edge of the cup, Leave it alone. Like I've said in previous podcasts, get your mouth and your hands off my ball. Let the other team come and pick up their ball. Let your buddy go get his or her ball. Keep your hands off my balls. Hey, don't be nasty. Last week, I spoke about the 395,000 that each of the 30 qualifying players earned just for showing up to the FedEx Finals. And that's for 30th place. So Brooks Kepka had to withdraw himself on Saturday due to an injury. He gets to keep the 395,000 for last place. Sports injuries suck, particularly if you're in the middle of a competition and have to withdraw. I guess nobody's going to be yelling, Brooksy, 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 anytime soon. And that new rule by the PGA to pull anybody from a gallery that yells Brooksy, Brooksy to Bryson, good for you. It might seem petty or playing favoritism, but when did golf galleries get out of hand? Was it the Waste Management Open in Phoenix? Was it the Ryder Cup events? I don't know. But I've got firsthand earshot of hecklers at the PGA Championship at Kiowa this year. Some sports promote spectacular fan support. European football, or soccer as we call it here in the States. There's always taunting and a fight in every stadium and around every stadium. American football, I've been to Raiders games in the Coliseum, Eagles games at Lincoln Financial Stadium, Bears games at Soldier Field, and when I was a kid, I went to Jets games at Shea Stadium where I learned an entirely new set of curse words that my dad had warned me not to ever use outside the stadium. I've banged the boards at the Blackhawk games at the United Center and also watched Michael Jordan in his last year there. All of these crowds were free of civil discourse, but that's it's expected in those sports. But golf? I've been to two U.S. Opens and a dozen PGA events across the country. I haven't made it to the Waste Management Open yet. It's on my bucket list. The only time I recall fans just getting out of control were at three Ryder Cup events where national pride overwhelmed the patrons to the point of verbal war. But 
when did it okay? When was it okay to start yelling at golfers? I mean, you hear things like "Bubba Booey," "Bananas," "You the Man." That that got old quickly. I mean, these are just people that want their sound bites on TV after a golfer hits a shot. But fans of Brooks Kepka taunting Bryson because perhaps the two of them are not fans of each other. I mean, who recruited these people? Will Brooks Kepka send all of his winnings to the fans yelling his name to Bryson? Hell no. He's going to buy another house or another boat or something that doesn't include you. I mean, he certainly teamed up with Ultralight to, to reward people that get kicked off of certain golf courses with a case of beer. But I really think that was just a promotional stunt by the beer company. Or maybe you have a secret bro crush or a bromance with Brooks. I mean, hey, to each their own. I don't care. But why take it out on the scientist kid? This kid his whole life has been figuring out numbers and physics That's all he thinks about. And so when he plays the game of golf, he approaches it with a physics mind. Leave the kid alone. Has legalized gambling in the United States gone so out of control that the only way to win a bet is to try and taunt a player on the other side to make a mistake? Bryson might not be the most likable sports figure. People like people who are like themselves. And Bryson is not like most people. He's cerebral and he has an unorthodox way of swinging a golf club and then cutting his shafts to the same size for all of his irons. His approach to golf is different, but he hits the shit out of the ball and wins tournaments and he gets tiger-like fans and crowds to support him. He's good for golf. I support the PGA and their decision to throw out ticket holders when they start yelling Brooksy, Brooksy, Brooksy to Bryson. Look, I've seen Tiger, through his caddy and security, have plenty of spectators thrown off the course. This is not new. I've seen Phil Mickelson do it as well. As long as alcohol is consumed on the grounds, which I entirely support, by the way, the afternoon crowds will be lively. It makes it fun for everybody, including the players. I mean, after a year of no fans because of COVID, it's great to have them back. The players love having them back. They love doing their best in front of other people. They're show-offs. If you want to see incredible golf played by the most talented players in the world, then drink up and go to a tournament and encourage these guys to do great things. If you want to win a bet and you have a mean streak, Stay home or go to a bar and yell shit and hopefully get in a fight and have somebody knock you out. Just stay off the grounds and let these guys practice their trade and do what they do best because you can't do any better. So just let them do their thing. And this has been a Tales from the First Tee public service announcement. The FedEx Cup. $15 million purse for the winner. I've been dueling somebody on social media about the handicap system for the FedEx Cup. And this guy makes an interesting point. First of all, he thinks the entire handicap system is fagazi. 
And he makes an interesting point. He says, if an undefeated NFL team enters the Super Bowl, should they get a 14-point head start? No. But for the most part, if that team was undefeated, they've had home field advantage through the playoffs leading to the Super Bowl, and home team statistically wins more for teams. So this is golf's home field advantage algorithm. Players get to enter East Lake with a certain amount of strokes under par, depending on what their 2021 performance was. Is it a perfect system? No. But right now, it is the system, and the players know that. And all of the players on the PGA are all trying to earn enough points during the year so that they can get into the playoffs. And after the first round, make it to the top 70. And after the second round, make it to the top 30. And then have a chance to win $15 million. Yeah, and look, the PGA is nimble enough to make changes when change is necessary. In prior years, it was four events in the, uh, in the playoffs in the FedEx Cup. Now it's three. Previous years, you could win the Tour Championship in Eastlake and not win the FedEx Cup because of the point system. Mr. Krabs, I am so confused. Since 2019, they combined them together. So you're playing for one purse. You're playing for first place, 15 million, second place, 5 million. So like I suggested to my new friend on social media, if you don't like the way it's set up and you don't like the whole point system and you don't like the fact that somebody comes in 10 under par where somebody else is coming in scratch, which is going to be very hard for them to win it, then I say watch the Solheim Cup. That's fun to watch. So back to the Tour Championship. I wrote and recorded most of this podcast before Sunday at the Tour Championship and waited till the end to talk about Cantley, Patty Ice. This guy is unflappable. And, you know, for a lot of golfers like Spieth in 15, it's like he couldn't do anything wrong. He just had it going and you knew he was going to win. And that's what happened to Cantley particularly at the end of the season. What he did at the BMW and then what he did at Eastlake was a putting exhibition that I've never seen before. And John Rahm was right on his tail the whole time. I mean, when Cantley bogeys 17 and Rahm just misses his putt for a par, they both come into 18, hit incredible drives. And for both of them, the longest drives they had hit on 18 for the entire weekend. So this is the fourth time they're playing the hole, both hitting miraculous drives. Now they both get to go for it in two. They both make the green. I mean, Rahm's just falls right to the edge of the green. Now they have eagle putts. If Rahm makes an eagle and Cantley makes a birdie, they're tied and they go into a playoff. But Rahm doesn't. They both birdie the hole Cantley wins $15 million. And even afterwards, he didn't seem to be overly emotional. And I think it's this mental state that he has developed himself to play um, within. It is a Zen-like state where he's very aware of being in the present. And so I think a day or so needs to go by and the money needs to be transferred into his bank account. And then I think Cantley is going to do like the victory dance. 
But look, he was fun to watch. And I don't know if we're going to see this during the Ryder Cup, but could you imagine if the match of the weekend in the final pairings comes down to Cantley and Rom playing against each other, America versus Europe, and that match makes the difference in the Ryder Cup because both these players are playing their A games now. That would be fun to watch. You've been listening to the season finale of Tales from the First Tee. I'm your host, Rich Easton, recording from beautiful Charleston, South Carolina. Tales will be returning in October with Season 2, starting with the Ryder Cup, with a bunch more stories, TikToks, and YouTube videos. Oh crap, now that I've said it, I actually have to do it. So come back and stay tuned. Talk to you soon.